Welcome to Crossed Over, the show where you hear stories of people who have been transformed by Jesus Christ, who have truly crossed over from death to life. Welcome to another episode of Crossed Over. I'm Jeff Johnson, your host for the show, and it has been a wonderful ride this past few months. I've been able to share and interview people whose lives have been changed by Jesus, and uh, today's episode is no different. Uh, inspiration for the show comes from God's Word, comes from the Bible. In John 5, 24, Jesus himself said, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. So here on Crossed Over, we love to bring people on and for them to share with you, those of you either watching or listening, uh, share with you their story of how they came to faith in Jesus Christ and how he has uh, truly impacted and changed their life, not just for now, but for eternity's sake. Uh, I have a special guest on today's show. His name is Shane Pruitt, and I'll bring him on in just a minute, I want to read to you, share with you a little bit about Shane, and I'm sure as we talk today, you'll get to know him a lot better and his story. Uh, Shane serves with uh, uh, the National Next Gen Evangelism Director with the North American Mission Board, uh, also called NAM among Southern Baptists. Uh, he and his wife, uh, Cassie, reside in Rockwall, Texas with their five children. Uh, he's been in ministry for over 18 years, working with the denomination Southern Baptist, but also as a church planner a lead pastor, and a student pastor. Those of you, like myself, former student pastors, we love to see that in a bio. Uh, he holds a bachelor's degree in biblical studies, a master's degree, as well as a Ph.D. in clinical Christian counseling. He travels and communicates. He speaks all the time. If you follow him on social media, you'll see that he is speaking all over the place, loves particularly to speak uh, to teenagers and share the hope he has in Christ. He's an author. He's a blogger. Uh, recently, he wrote a book called The Nine Common Lies Christians Believe and Why God's Truth is Infinitely Better. So I encourage you to look up that book, get it, and you can find it wherever books are sold. You can find out more about Shane at shanepruitt.com. I'm going to go ahead and bring in Shane, and uh, we'll, we'll welcome him. Shane, welcome to the show today. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. True honor, man. So glad to have you. Thank you. We talked a, a couple months back and lined it up and glad we could work it out with, with your schedule and so glad to have you on the show. Hey, it's an honor. Thanks, man. Looking forward to it. Hey, can I do something new to the to the Crossover universe? Uh, I've decided now that we've had 10 episodes, you're number 11. Uh, we're going to add something new to the Crossover show, so I hope you're game. Let's it's, go, man. It's simply, called, it's, it's simply called Five Questions. Nothing, All nothing right. that you, nothing that you have to prepare for. Uh, five questions here. I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna say a question, and uh, and just whatever comes to your mind, you throw it out. Okay. All right. Okay. The first is what music is playing currently in your Spotify playlist? The first one to come up or Apple playlist. What 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 music are you listening to? Oh man. Uh... Hey, yeah, I've gone back to uh, oldies but goodies, uh, Shane and Shane. You know, they got a great name. Uh, so <laughs> we've done uh, some events together uh, where they've led worship and I've preached. So I've always tried to add Shane, Shane, and Shane, Shane Cubed. I love uh, but it. they're not going for it. I love yeah, it. Listen, so, I, re yeah, I remember man. we actually hosted them back in 2002 at our church. Great guys and great music. 
nothing yeah. better. Their original Psalms album is incredible. Still love That's it. what I've been listening to. Yeah. Still, That's still what good I said. Stuff. Oldie but goodie. All right. Yeah. Number number two, uh, you go to your local coffee shop, whatever it's called. What's your order? Oh, you're going to make fun of me. I'm not a coffee drinker. I want to be. I think it looks cool. I think people that drink looks like they're holding coffee. They just look smarter, you know? So you're but ordering. I'm not a coffee drinker. Okay, so you're ordering yeah, hot, so, hot chocolate. <laughs> I I like it, but you're going to make fun of me. Uh, like, even my wife makes fun of me. I get the strawberries and cream frappuccino. So nothing manlier than holding a, like a pink drink with a bunch of whipped cream on top, you know? <laughs> Listen, my, my daughters would love that. My daughters would love oh, yeah, that, no, yeah. no doubt. Yeah, me and my nine-year-old, we get that. Well, that's okay. Yeah. My, my wife and I feel like, like there's a there's something going around Twitter the last couple, couple of days about people, when did you discover coffee? And my wife and I are really embarrassed that we're in our late 40s and we're just now, we got an espresso machine for Christmas. We're trying to like coffee because we never have. But yeah, uh, hey, yeah, same. no shame in the Frappuccino, brother. No shame. <laughs> all right. Number three, what's your favorite athlete of all time? Oh, easy. I'm a huge Miami Dolphins fan. So Dan, the man Marino. Look at it, right? This I is, was prepared. I mean, you can... The, you can just see the anointing of God on that logo. You know what? So Dan, the man Marino, best quarterback to ever play the game. I got to show you, man. I got to show you. That's right. Beautiful. That, Beautiful. That's, that's yeah. good. Uh, for those of you listening, yeah, I held up a Dolphin logo. I also held up a signed football by Dan Marino. Shane Beautiful. is a Miami Dolphins fan, and he's probably my favorite guest so far because of that very reason, right? <laughs> yes, there. let it be, okay. Lord. Let it be. Okay, quickly moving on. What's the favorite place you've ever visited? Oh, oh man. I know this sounds super spiritual, but it's true. Uh, Israel. Been twice. Um, Man, nothing like it. All right. All right. I, I can't argue with that. We haven't been there yet, but we're looking forward to go. Hopefully yeah. one of these days. Last question, and we'll move on to our conversation. What is your go-to social media platform? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. What's your go-to? Oh, man. Gosh, they're all so different, and they're all different uh, in what intrigues you to go to. Um, I would still say probably Instagram's my favorite. Yeah, I've my 14-year-old's gotten me into TikTok lately. I'm not dancing, but I put on a little short sermon videos on there, and so that's been fun. But yeah, probably still Instagram's the one I check more than any. I love it. I love. We could. We we don't need to end there, but hopefully that allows people to get to know yeah. you a little bit. Yeah. Well, listen, I shared your bio, but if you would, I know I shared that you're from Texas. You're a Texas guy. Uh, if you would, let's let's go back as I do with all my guests. I love to kind of get uh, an understanding of the adult that you are and really our childhood and where you grew up. And that environment really plays a lot into, particularly our story of faith. But if you would um, share about. You know, let's get our conversation going. Share about what was growing up uh, like for you, Shane. Uh, the environment experiences that shaped you. Yeah, yeah. So, grew up in Texas. Um, like you say, said earlier, I serve as the National Next Gen Director for the North American Mission Board. So, I'm I travel all over the nation, getting to to speak and preach and uh, equip. Uh, the next generation with the gospel and to share the gospel with their friends and then help next gen leaders work with the next generation and lead our team to do that. So I love that. Um, but I do live in Texas, been uh, in Texas my whole life. Um, I did not grow up in church, um, which I know sounds odd to some people because they think all Texans grew up going to church. I didn't. 
uh, did not grow up in church. In fact, the first time I stepped inside of a church building was whenever I was 16. It was my aunt's funeral. Uh, Not long after that, the pastor who preached her funeral, we lived out in the country. Uh, He made an unexpected house visit to our house with a deacon uh, on a Tuesday night. Uh, right there in the living room, uh, both my mom and dad surrendered their life to Jesus, saw the biggest change in them, uh, especially in my dad. Uh, if you would have asked us if we were Christians, we'd have probably said yes, you know, because we live in Texas. You know, it's like God, country, and guns. You know, we believe in the big man upstairs, but we're lost and on our way to hell. We didn't know Jesus. So my mom and dad became Christians when I was 16, saw a big change in them. Uh, that night I became, and I intentionally say it like this, a fan of Jesus because of what I saw him do in my parents' life. So I repeated some prayer because they did, but I had no clue what I was doing. So I started going to church when I was 16, but from 16 to 21, I lived two separate lives. I would go to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. I'd go to every youth camp, uh, every revival, uh, every event. But away from church, my Trinity was not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. My trinity was sports, chasing girls, and partying. Um, But ever so often, I would get my emotions stirred at church or at youth camp, and I'd pray this prayer. I'd prayed a thousand times, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to do better. I'm going to change. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to fix this. It was really a lot of I, 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 I. Fans of Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. Um, But when I was 21, something different happened. We had a guest speaker at our church. Honestly, I don't even remember what he was preaching on. Um, I just remember he got done. Band comes back up. I go down the aisle, got at the altar, you know, what we called the altar, uh, which is basically the stage, and got down at the altar and uh, began the same prayer I prayed a thousand times. God, I'm sorry. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to fix this. But something was different that night, Jeff. It's like what the Bible says, let those who have eyes see, let those who have ears hear. And for the first time that night, uh, I could see how lost I was. And it's almost like I could hear the voice of God really just saying things like surrender, give up, quit, turn it over to me. And I'll never forget that. That night, my prayer changed. Uh, instead of me saying, God, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. I, I, I. In that moment, uh, and it's been 20 years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I just said, God, you know what? I'm not going to do better. I'm not going to try harder. I'm not going to fix this because God, I can't. So unless you come inside of me, unless you save me, unless you change me from the inside out, then God, this is who I'm going to be. I'm either, um, you know, going to uh, die not knowing you, or I'm going to end up in jail. I was really living really rebellious at that time. Or worse than any of that, I'm just going to fake it for the rest of my life, being one way at the church building and living another way in my life. So God, I give up, I quit, I surrender, I can't. And I think those two words sometimes, Jeff, I can't. Um, The world would never say this, but I believe sometimes those two words, I can't, are the most beautiful words God can hear because the first step to knowing he can is knowing you can't. Mm -hmm. So I'd say, God, I give up, I quit, I surrender. And I tell you, in that moment, I just felt this weight lifted off my shoulders. I felt this peace that surpasses all understanding come over me. Um, And everything was different. And God's never spoke to me in an audible voice because if he did, I'd probably pass out. But it's like for the first time, it's almost like I could just hear the voice of God saying, finally, you're mine. I will change you from the inside out. Follow me. And I want to tell you, everything changed that night. I'm not perfect. I mess up every day. I need the grace of God every day in my life. I need the gospel every day in my life. But I am different. 
my identity changed that night. Mm. You know, I say it like this. I went to the altar, lost, met the real Jesus, got up, found to never look back. I was an orphan because of sin, met the real Jesus, got up a child of the most high God to never look back. Uh, went down that night spiritually dead, met the real Jesus, got up spiritually alive to never look back. Uh, and I even say it like this, and I think this is relevant, especially for people if they grew up in church. I went down that night a fan of Jesus, met the real Jesus, mm. got up a follower of Jesus to never look back. Because he doesn't ask us to be his fans. He asks us to be his followers. And I tell you, so that word surrender has been the word of my life since then, that I believe you surrender once for salvation. And that's where my theology is. Once you have the Holy Spirit, according to the Bible, you are sealed to the day of redemption. So I believe once you're truly saved, that's the key, truly saved, you're always saved. But in sanctification, in discipleship, in following Jesus, I believe it's a moment by moment surrender. Yeah. You know, that when temptation comes or distractions come or the the busyness of the world comes in that moment. You, you have to realize Jesus is better than the junk and it's a moment by moment surrender. And those moments turn into those to minutes and those minutes turn into hours, hours to days, days to weeks, weeks to months, months to years. And you look up and go, Hey, I'm not perfect. Um, but I'm not who I used to be because God changed me, uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy spirit. And every day, um, I'm surrendering to him, to the truth that he is truly better. He is King. Yeah. And so that was me, man. Didn't grow up in church. Got saved at 21. Yeah. Well, okay. So you said your parents a few years before had had made a decision to follow Christ. Yeah. I like that. You know, I think you and I have very similar stories, testimonies that, you know, I guess if you'd asked me growing up, I said, of course, I'm a Christian. You know, the other options yep. were, of course, growing up in South Florida is still a different environment than uh, where I live now in the Bible Belt or Texas. But um, I love how you you shared that that when you surrendered your life to Christ, you really felt the weight. I can I can truly remember, you, as you said, like it was yesterday. For me, it's going on about 27 years. I can remember uh, feeling the weight of my own sin, the weight of my own brokenness come off, and I really felt freedom is the way I can express it, uh, following Jesus. Um, I, I guess a follow-up question what was what was that conversation like with with your mom and dad uh, when you went back to them after after you surrendered your life to Christ? Yeah, they knew. You know, so like I said, I repeated some prayer when I was sixteen. Yeah, uh, even got dunked in water. And the reason I say dunked in water is because I believe believers' baptism comes after you become a believer, right? So any kind of baptism that took place before salvation was just getting wet in church. So I got wet in church whenever I was 16. So I think my parents honestly were a little confused by that because they were brand new believers too. Radical change in their life. And they're looking at me going, well, hey, he goes to church every week. He's in the youth group. Um, you know, he prayed a prayer of salvation. He got dunked in water, but there's no change in him. And so especially my mom uh, would pray. I mean, she would pray for me um, and, you know, especially when I was 18 and moved out of the house and 18, 19, 20, 21 into college, they knew I was partying. They knew I had a new girlfriend every time they saw me bouncing from relationship to relationship. They knew all that. And so my mom was praying and praying. And so if you're listening to this and you're one of those praying mamas or praying daddies, keep praying for your kids, especially if your kids are away from the Lord. Uh, in fact, my mom would go, hey, I'd rather him know Jesus if uh, even if it's hard for him uh, not knowing Jesus. And so she would literally go, uh, hey, I know you're going to party. I'm going to pray that you get sick. I'm going to pray 
that this is miserable for you. And I'm like, and even as a non-believer, I'd be like, mama, don't pray that. Don't pray that mama. You know what I mean? Cause sure enough, I'd get sick or I'd just feel miserable. Or I'd be there and I'd be like, why am I doing this? But I'd always run back to it. And my mom would say that I pray that you do not have fun. I pray that you don't enjoy this. I pray that you get sick. Like if you're going to get drunk, I pray you get sick over it. I mean, she would literally pray that specific. Wow. Um, and so my parents, I think in, in their theology, um, as they were new believers and journeying with the Lord, I think they thought I was a Christian, but just like wayward. Um, and I didn't understand it like they did. Um, and I look back and, and, and I'm not saying you can't be a Christian and go wayward. I'm not saying, I'm saying for me, I didn't really know Jesus. Mm -hmm. It was more religious activity. Even praying a prayer, uh, was religious activity for me. So like I said, I was a fan of Jesus. If you had asked me, did I believe in God? Yes. Did I believe Jesus was Lord and Savior? Yes. But the power of the Holy Spirit was in my life. The fruits of the Holy Spirit truly following him. So whenever I was 21, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget that. It was a college event. And literally when I went down praying that, uh, the rest of that story is I wept at the altar for about 30 to 45 minutes uncontrollably. I couldn't get up. I'm not a crier at all. And I was weeping. And um, the church wasn't far from my parents. So uh, the the college pastor actually called my mom and dad and said, hey, God's doing something in Shane's life. Uh, I just want you to know that. You may want to even come. So my dad shows up. And I'll never forget this. He kind of hangs back. I'm just weeping at the altar. People are praying for me. Leaders, people that have known me because they've been praying for me, were just weeping and praying with me. And I'll never forget. I get this up. I turn around and really the first person I locked my eyes with after I felt like the Lord kind of released me from the altar and was able to get up. I turn around, I locked my eyes with my dad. And I'll never forget what he says, Jeff. Uh, he said, hey, I know that this time is different because I can see it in your eyes. That's what he's, I can see it in your eyes. He goes, because he goes before, it was almost like there was nothing behind your eyes. Like your eyes were almost lifeless. And he goes, but now they were shining and they look full of life. And he, and that's, I'll never forget that. I don't know why he said, I can see it in your eyes. I'll never forget that. Yeah. Hmm. I remember, I remember the next day after I becoming a Christian and similar with that, um, a young lady who I was good friends with, who is now my wife who had been praying for me for months and months and months and sharing Jesus with me, uh, she, when she later would tell me that she knew my countenance was different. There was just, there was, yeah. there was a difference. I mean, she can see that, well, that's a powerful story about your dad. And I think, wow, what confirmation too for your dad to be there and speak that um, into that decision. Yeah. Well, and Jeff, I love it. My friends used to say that, um, uh, that were, that knew me from church uh, is because just being honest, yeah, like I was, really rough, um, man in high school, college, and I would get in fights all the time. Yeah. And, uh, after I became a Christian, my friends would say, uh, there's such a change in you. And one of the ways we can see there's a change is you're so nice now, you know? So I went from like this kind of, I guess, aggressive, you know, always like friendly, but kind of aggressive, ready to fight over nothing to where they were like, you're really kind and patient and nice. That's what they would say. So yeah, that difference. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier, uh, one of those big church words, sanctification, you know, <laughs> that, you know, and I, and I firmly believe in you know, scripture when, when, when you surrender your life to, you know, the Holy Spirit comes in and you're sealed to the day, um, day of redemption. Uh, but there's this process that in this life, God's working on you and growing you. So you shared a few things about your friends noticing um, what, what were over the next couple of years, 
as we like to say on the show about you know, God pours his life into you. How did, what were some of the evidences? What are some of the ways that you really saw uh, Jesus' life? And not just your ticket to heaven, you're going to be, you know, when you die, but you saw him growing you over the next few years. How'd you see it? Yeah, I love that question. Uh, for me, older brothers in the faith. That was like, besides the Holy Spirit himself, whenever I was a new believer, the greatest tool of sanctification in my life or growing, maturing in the Lord, that's more of a layman's turn to say it, was older brothers in the faith, starting with my pastor of that church, uh, who was, I was 21, he was in his mid-60s, uh, and Jeff, we couldn't be more different. Um, you know, I was, you know, and still am a, a jeans and sneakers guy. Uh, he wore Dockers every day of his life. I think he even mowed his yard in his Dockers. We used to, you know, make fun of him about that. You know? a- ankle um, socks, an- ankle socks. Yeah, up to- man, totally different, yes. man. And, you know, I came out of a party lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Literally, he had never drank a drop of alcohol in his whole life. Um, you know, like he was a, a King James only guy, you know, and I didn't even know what that meant. But man, he loved me and the gospel is our common ground. And so, like I said, all my friends were partiers. So I still like would pray for them. Uh, I would share the gospel with them. I had, uh, you know, church friends that 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 relationship took a deeper meaning because I stopped going to the party, stopped going to the clubs. I, I wanted to keep praying for my friends, sharing the gospel with them. But I knew I couldn't be in the same environment. I think you got to change your environment. I knew I couldn't be in the same environment. So I started spending all my time with the pastor of the church. And I would go to hospital visits with him. I would go door to door witnessing with him. I would go make visitation visits with him. Not necessarily because at that time I wanted to be in ministry. I just wanted to spend time with him. And I did, and I knew I couldn't be around the same settings that my lost friends were in. Um, and so one day he said, "Hey Shane, what are you going to do with your life?" And I said, "I don't, I don't know." Because whenever I was lost, I wasn't just lost spiritually. I was lost in life, bouncing from job to job, relationship to relationship. Uh, Jeff, I, I was failing out of junior college. That's almost impossible, but I was doing it. All right. Um, and so he said, hey, well, why don't you at least go to Bible college and learn the Bible until you figure out what you're going to do with your life? And I was like, awesome. I didn't even know there was a Bible college. So I grew up in the Waco area. Uh, I went with him to go visit a Bible college in Dallas, uh, looked at the degree program, didn't see any math classes. And I was like, the Lord has spoken. This is what I'm supposed to do. So the following semester, um, I started Bible college as a brand new Christian. And I remember Jeff going in there and, and Bible college students are doing what Bible college students are doing, you know, that do. Uh, they're in the coffee shop and they're debating Calvinism and Arminianism and all those things. And I have no idea what they're even talking about. I was still calling the book of Psalms Palms. You know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't know anything. But once again, God using older brothers in the faith in my life. Uh, I had some great professors um, who took an interest in me. They invested in me, uh, would eat lunch with me, uh, disciple me. And so I would say Bible college, yes, I got a good degree. Uh, Learned a lot of great doctrine and theology and practical sides of ministry. But honestly, that's where I was discipled. And it was good for me because moving from Waco to Dallas, when I moved to Dallas, I didn't know anybody. It was a brand new start. So for me, when you talk about true life change, true different trajectory of life, it's when older brothers in the faith who have been following Jesus a lot longer than me, who are a lot more spiritually mature, took an interest in me and started pouring in me in that life on life discipleship. I think that's where real sanctification takes place. Yeah. Hmm. 
Well, let's let's continue a little bit with your story. So you got some people pouring into you. You're growing uh, as a Christian. Looking back now, years and years of ministry, to the local church, speaking, traveling, uh, you know, sharing your faith all the time. What were some of those moments where you know people gave you the opportunity? I can. I, the reason I ask that question is because I can remember getting involved in a church, and I can remember even as a college student going to church on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. When what college student does that? Just really growing, and I remember responding to something in the bulletin, an opportunity to serve in the student ministry. And I and Shane, I'm like you. I, I had I didn't know Old Testament, New Testament. I didn't know anything, and I can remember a couple of youth pastors giving me a shot to serve and really how God used that. What were some of those moments for you that, you know, that really that God used, I guess, past Bible college that really God opened up his calling in your life for you? Yeah, just what you said. And Jeff, I think, you, you know, all the years in student ministry that you had and myself and then on a large scale, what I do with Next Gen Ministry now is, is I love those, those leaders who look at teenagers and college students and young adults, and they don't necessarily see them as the future of the church, but they see them as the church right now. Mm -hmm. You know, because, right, we always tell young people they're the future of the church. And I know what you mean by that. Future leaders, influencers, pastors, sure. But we also know, according to the New Testament, if you've been bought with the blood of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God. Theologically, you're not the future of the church. You are the church right now. Uh, you have the calling of God on your life now, the Great Commission on your life now, so be the church right now. And so I'm thankful, like you said, those opportunities where you had leaders look at me as a young guy, uh, not just a young man, you know, physically by age, but a, a young guy in in following Jesus and go, hey, we're going to equip him to serve and be the church right now. And so what that looked like for me is I started getting invited uh, to share uh, my testimony at places, you know, I think they were like, oh, Shane's got a cool testimony. We don't trust him to preach yet, but we'll let him share his testimony. And so I started getting to share my testimonies. And uh, one of the the places that I, I share my testimony, uh, the pastor afterward, which he was young as well, uh, he came up to me and he said, hey, we got like five teenagers on a Sunday morning. Uh, would you be interested in coming on Sunday mornings and teaching their Sunday school class? You know, we don't have enough for a youth pastor. We don't even have a youth pastor. But would you be interested in teaching their Sunday school class? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And so I just love, you know, I love Jesus, want to tell others about Jesus. I believe if God can save me, he could save anybody. Mm -hmm. I believe that. And so uh, I started teaching this Sunday school class with five teenage boys in it. And what was funny, Jeff, is I didn't know what curriculum was. I didn't know about Sunday school quarterlies and all that. And so whatever I learned at Bible college that week is what I would teach these like teenage boys. So it'd be funny. I'm like, all right, we're going to learn about the hypostatic union of Christ. And they're just sitting there like picking their nose. You know what I mean? But um, I had a lot of time on my hands as a college student. So uh, I would just spend time with them, invest in them. And over time, that five turned into 10 and that 10 turned into 20 and 30 and 35. And eventually the, the pastor of the church said, Hey, um, hey, we got a little extra funds. Would you want to be the youth pastor? And we can pay you $13,000 a year to do it. And I'm like, oh, you get paid to do this? I didn't even know, you know? And so they were like, we'll pay you $13,000 a year to, to be the youth pastor. And I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And so long story short, I was there for three years at that church. And that original five turned into well over 100 in that student ministry. And then, and I was just content. I think that was the thing. I was content. 
being faithful where God put me. Uh, and then a larger church approached me um, and said, hey, we want you to come and uh, be our full-time youth pastor. And we got, you know, health benefits and a parsonage and, and all those things. I was like, oh man, you can like do this full-time. I didn't even know that, you know, and at that time, uh, kind of later on, I'd met my wife, we got engaged. And I was like, well, I can't be a husband making 13,000 a year, you know? And so I was trying to navigate that. And then a church came and uh, approached me at that. And then uh, I was there a long time as student pastor, then eventually teaching pastor, and then launched out of there to plant a church. and was a lead pastor uh, of a, a growing church uh, for several years. And then the denomination approached me about coming on uh, in a director role and national director. So really, Jeff, for me, I think just kind of those transitions of life and what you were talking about, people giving me opportunities, it was just that um, I would never really try to chase after things. Um, you know, I look back over the years of ministry, any kind of position or platform that I would chase after would never work out. Mm. However, if I was just faithful and content where I was, then God would kind of open a door and it would really be a surprise. And I would pray and go, God, is this you? And when we believed it was, we'd walk through that door. So I never really tried to chase after things or, or uh, like keep my eyes everywhere else. I would just try to be faithful and content where I was. And go, man, no ministry is a small ministry. No ministry is an unimportant ministry. In the kingdom of God, they all have eternal impact and an eternal value. So try to be content, faithful there, and then God would just open a door. Yeah. Hmm. I love it. I love it. It's, it's amazing. Um, I think a lot of times guys and, and people in ministry will constantly be looking for that next opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, but, but God's got to be in it and uh, you got to be patient. I know yeah, being... Jeff, and that's probably the number one question I get, right? Especially uh, preaching at a youth camp, of course, or a conference, or an event. Is you always get, you know, the pastor, or the youth pastor, or the college pastor, go, "Hey, Shane, how do I get invited right. to speak at conferences or at camps, yeah. or those things?" And I understand their heart in that, of course. And uh, I just say, "Hey, man, be faithful where you are." Um, I got this great advice early in ministry where uh, a great a pastor told me, hey, you focus on the depth of your ministry and let the Lord focus on the width and platform of it. And so that's what I told him. Hey, be faithful where you are. Uh, if the Lord has called you to an itinerant ministry, then he'll open those doors. But don't chase after it. And just know that stage at the camp is not any more important than the ministry God's given you, you know. And so, yeah, yeah. no, that's a good word. I think I think a lot of times it's born out of a heart to really impact the world for Christ. Yeah, I mean, sure. And that's yep. OK. But at the same time, yep. I think we can really. Um, as, as I've shared with many people, you can be constantly looking for the next thing and you can miss what God's doing in you and through you right where you're at. And no so doubt. that's that's good. Well, you are um, you are a father. Um, you shared about being a husband. You've got a lot of kids. And <laughs> so I, my wife and I have four kids. Do you ever get do you ever you have five? Do you ever get the look from people when you tell them you have five kids? I mean, I get sometimes that 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 look that says, man, you have a lot of kids. Yeah, I know. Definitely. There were like, people are like, well, first of all, like um, both my wife and I, which man, thank God for it. Uh, we tend to look younger than we really are. You know that we are older. We tend to look. And so people are, first of all, they're like, wait, y'all been married almost 17 years. <laughs> Did y'all get married when y'all were 12, you know, or, or how do y'all have 
uh, five kids and we actually have a sixth on the way uh, through adoption. We're adopting again through Liberia. And so people look at us and go, what? That's crazy. Y'all got a massive family, which is funny because if you look at Bible times and you read Genesis or Revelation, really it's like a small family, <laughs> but just because of like, you know, uh, our American culture and the 2.7 kids right, and a cat right. and a dog and all that. People are like, oh my gosh, you got a whole basketball team. You know, like y'all are driving around a church van as your personal vehicle. Uh, but, oh yes, we definitely get those looks. Uh, just being honest, Jeff, and we roll deep and we roll loud as a family. So there's plenty of times where we'll go into a restaurant and all sit down and we'll see that husband or wife that are maybe on their date night and they'll move to the other side of the restaurant. <laughs> and we're like, hey, we're okay with that. We're used to that. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. that's funny. Hey, listen, as as a dad of a big family, I get it. We just yeah. we just uh, drove two thousand miles out when we were out west, and uh, and we packing out of that minivan. Just really, uh, sometimes you get the looks from people like, "Wow, yeah. they keep coming," kind of like the clowns out of the car. But yeah, no uh, doubt. So yeah. listen, how how have you seen? I, I tell people, my life changed in a new way when I when I held. My, my first child in my hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw yeah. the Lord differently, my depth of worship. Uh, I guess I saw the world through different lenses um, in a deeper way, I guess. Uh, being a dad, um, obviously priority, my priority is as a Christian first in my relationship with Christ and my responsibilities as a husband to my wife to uh, lay down my life as Christ laid down his life um, for the church. But being a dad is to me one of the greatest gifts, the greatest responsibilities that I've had the privilege, to, I guess, to be a part of. Um, can you speak to that of being a family guy? Um, just the joys of being not only a Christian, but a husband and, and a dad as well. Yeah, I love that, Jeff. Yeah, you're so right. And you want to talk about sanctification or maturing in the Lord. Being a husband will do that. Being a father will do that. You know, I kind of joke, but it's not really a joke. I used to have all these sermons on marriage until I got married. You know what I mean? And then I was like, I had no idea what I was talking about. You know, same thing. And then I had all these sermons, even as a as a youth pastor, on raising kids until I had my own kids. And I'm like, I had no clue what I was talking about. You know, and so there's a whole new level of depth and maturity and sanctification that takes place there. Yeah, I always say this, Jeff, like in my life, besides salvation, there was three like elements of life change in my life that taught me a whole new kind of understanding of the gospel, uh, a whole new practicality side of the gospel. Uh, number one, that was getting married. Uh, becoming a husband will teach you a whole new visual picture of the gospel, an element of the gospel. I mean, you know, even that Ephesians 5, you know, where Paul's talking about the relationship of a husband and wife is mm. is like the relationship of Jesus to the bride, the church. So that teaches you a whole new depth of understanding of that relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. Um, and then becoming a father, like you said, uh, you want to talk about understanding unconditional love uh, when you hold uh, your firstborn in your hand for the first time, you know, and just being a, a dad and living like that, like you really start to understand uh, the love of a father and to know, you know, even as the Bible talks about how, you know, because of a, um, our, a fallen nature and our battle with sin on, on some level, like, uh, we're wicked fathers, but there's a perfect father. And if you think about how pure our love is, even as those that daily need the gospel, how pure our love is for our kids, think about that doesn't even scratch the surface of the purity of our heavenly father love for us. That's, 
mind-boggling. And then the third one for me is becoming an adoptive father. Um, so we have, uh, you know, five kids, uh, six on the way. So two biological daughters, and then we'll have four, five, uh, or, you know, uh, three or four once Morris gets home, uh, kids through adoption. And so, man, I, I remember, uh, we've experienced it multiple times now, but our oldest son, Titus, who we adopted, um, standing in a courtroom with a judge and a judge saying, here is, uh, Titus praise Concande. Um, and I believe by my expert opinion that the Pruitt family is the right family for this child. Uh, Shane, you are now his father, Casey, you're now his mother and his legal name is now Titus praise Pruitt. And now he carries her in our name and our inheritance is his inheritance. Mm -hmm. He has a family. He has brothers and sisters, and it just shows a picture of the work of Jesus and how God the Father adopted us into his family, and his inheritance is our inheritance, and we now have a family, the family of God. Like, man, I tell you, so being a husband, a father, an adoptive father, uh, those have taught me a whole new just views of the beauty of the gospel, for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's, we could, uh, we could talk a lot about adoption as well. Um, I, I, mm -hmm. it's, it's such powerful. What it to me, what a picture of as you shared of our adoption in Christ. Um, uh, my wife and I, we had three bios, and and long before you know even our first one came, we felt the Lord put on our heart uh, mm -hmm. to adopt. And our youngest son, uh, we adopted from China, and that three-year process yeah. of going over and. And like you said, um, standing in a courtroom in, in Guangzhou, China, you know, with a whole bunch of other adoptive families and mm -hmm. taking that oath. But but what um, what a gift, what a gift of being a yeah. dad. Um, but um, even looking at my son, I, 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 it's hard for people to understand. I think you would understand that I don't ever look at Joseph who's my youngest son, my adoptive son. I don't ever think to myself, he's not mine. I don't, I don't ever think no, right. there's, there's never a time I think he's different from my other kids. Uh, I think he's a gift from yep. the Lord to us. And uh, my wife and I, it just, it just doesn't cross our minds and just mm -hmm. think how much greater does our heavenly father see us? You know, as the scripture says, we're grafted in, we're brought back in through Christ. He doesn't look to us as, Oh, you're not really, you know, as I intended, but he is, you know, that relationship is, is so genuine and real and, uh, it's powerfully pictured yeah. in, in human relationships uh, as we see. I love it. Yeah. In fact, whenever I describe, say, these are our, you know, if I describe like biological daughters, yeah. I'll just say all that means is they have our DNA. Our other kids are equally our kids. They just don't have our DNA. So they have the same rights, the same inheritance, yeah. uh, just as much as our kids. Yep. You know, and sometimes, and, and, you know, I don't mean to snarky. I think it's well-meaning people. They just don't know how to ask. They'll go, they'll say things like this. Okay, which one are your real kids? And I'm like, all of them are our real kids. You know, there's no real and fake. They're our, ki they're our kids and they're equally our kids. Yeah. Uh, just some of them carry our DNA and some don't, but that doesn't mean anything in the picture of our family. Yeah. I like that. I'll have to use that. Yeah, we've, yeah. I think all adoptive parents have, uh, have experienced yeah. that where people, <laughs> yeah. people just don't know how to, how to bring it up. How to, no. Yeah. That's you know, okay. Sure. It's good. It's yeah. good. Um, I, it's amazing. Um, how, what's, what's your, from the oldest to youngest, what's, what's the age? 
Yeah, yeah. So at the time of this recording, uh, our oldest is 14. Uh, so we got 14, 9, 8. Uh, the young man that we're adopting currently uh, and going through a process is 7. And then we got 5 and 3. So yeah, never a boring moment and never a quiet moment. In fact, Jeff, if there's quiet in the house, then we think something's up. We're like, okay, what are they up to? Why is it so quiet? You know? Yeah. So I get it. I get it. I, I keep telling myself I'm going to miss those days when the house is quiet yeah. and empty and yeah. my wife are going to miss the kids dearly. Yeah, well, I've no just doubt. sent last year, sent one off to college to one daughter and another daughter about to graduate and uh, in, in a few months and go off to college. So wow. we're a few years ahead of, of you and Casey, but, uh, yeah. uh, what a blessing it is to be, to be a parent. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, well, listen is, is, and thank you for sharing all that. I, I, what one quick question about the adoption and then we'll move on to kind of the final, yeah, question, sounds good. final question. How did you get connected with adoption from Liberia? Oh yeah. Great question. So we were actually, uh, going through the process and praying through, um, uh, a different country. Um, and at that time the country was open, but while we were in the process, the country closed. So we were not yet, um, uh, matched or what we would say in adoption terms that we'd understand is referral. We hadn't received a referral yet right. to say yes to um, and so, so here's something really unique uh, on a community level is that uh, in our small group, uh, there are three other families that are adopting from the same children's home in Liberia. So that would make us the fourth. So that means this, that even uh, when the kids come home, they're coming home and still going to have an ongoing relationship to other uh, wow. kids that they've been in the children's home with because there's four families just in our small group all adopting from the same children's home. So we were like, that's really unique. Like some of our best friends are adopting uh, the little boy who's the roommate of the little boy we're adopting. So, man, that's a beautiful picture of just like community and doing life together and taking this journey together. So just that, um, some uh, couples in our small group were already in the process uh, of adopting from Liberia from this certain uh, ministry, agency, children's home. And so when the country that we were adopting with uh, closed, then we began to pray, okay, God, what, what are you doing here? We, we really believe you're leading us down this path again. And it was just really through those conversations that we connected to the agency, the children's home, uh, that the other couples in our small group are adopting from. So we're getting to take this journey as four couples, four families all together. So that's a really cool thing. You talk about living on mission together in deep community. There's a beautiful picture of that. And then our eight-year-old son that we already adopted, he's uh, from Uganda. So we adopted him from Uganda. And then my wife and I, we have a huge heart for Uganda, the DRC, Rwanda. And so we actually go every year uh, on mission trips serving pastors and their wives there. Of course, we didn't get to last year because of COVID. But in a typical year, we go every year to uh, Uganda, Rwanda, DRC. So we had actually been, we would have probably been open to adopting again from Uganda, but even that process has changed drastically than from when we went through it eight years ago. So, yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, I thought our church has been connected with, uh, Liberia for a lot of years now. So it intrigued oh, me awesome. when, when you mentioned Liberia and I uh, would look forward to being able to send some, some folks back to minister there. Um, love it. What a country. And I will say this to those of you listening or watching. Um, if you if you have love in your heart um, and you've got room in your home, you need to pray. You need to pray to say, God, would yeah. would you have me 
uh, or you and your spouse and your wife get together, your husband, uh, pray and, and lay that before the Lord because um, there's so many kids in need um, here in the States and, and also around the world. And you know, we're challenging James to take care of the orphans. And so yeah. you want to really live out your faith and your works to be connected. Adoption is, uh, is something that, that you should put before the Lord. Um, definitely. Absolutely. Well, Shane, as we as we kind of wrap up on the show, um, once again, thanks for being with us. Um, we don't know, and I have no idea, and may never know this side of heaven. Uh, the people that will watch this, and maybe five people, maybe five thousand people, who knows? Mm-hmm. But uh, you know as well as I do that there could be a lot of different people who may tune in for whatever reason, and so there may be someone that's watching this that. Um, who needs to hear what you're about to say? What, what is something, a word of challenge or encouragement? Um, if you could speak directly to um, those that are, that are tuning in today, um, even if it's months or years from now, uh, what would you say to them? Yeah, Jeff, thank you. And first of all, thanks for having me on. And I love this ministry, the crossover ministry. I think it's awesome. I love the vision for this. Um, and so those of you that are watching, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I just want to encourage you with this. Um, you know, 2020 obviously was a crazy year. 2021 has been pretty crazy as well. And you look at all the changes going on around us, and I think it's easy to get overwhelmed by so much change. And and so here's really kind of where the Lord's been dealing in my heart is that an ever-changing world is desperate for never-changing truths. So I think sometimes the best way for us to move forward in difficult times such as these is to return back to the basics of what we know to be eternally true. Because eternal truths, because they're eternal, means they're always relevant. Like the Bible is still relevant. It's been relevant for a long time. It still is. The gospel is still relevant. The need for Jesus is still relevant. So I just want to encourage you with this to know that, hey, yes, as we look at everything going on around us and the changes and changes in culture and who knows what lays for the future of uh, the nation that we're in, the United States. If you're watching this, you live in the United States, you're like, I don't know what the future holds. I I just want to encourage you with this. As people are looking at everything, they'll say things like this, Shane, everything has changed. Nothing is the same. Everything is different. Everything has changed. And yes, a lot has changed and we don't even know what's going to change for the future. But I want to encourage you with this. Not everything has changed. Jesus Christ has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And there's never a moment where Jesus does the face palm and go, ah, didn't see that one coming. Never once, never once does he do do that. So rest in Jesus. Um, He is the never changing God. Rest in him. The second thing that hasn't changed, let me encourage you with this, is your identity in Christ. That hasn't changed. Although culture may be changing around you, your identity in Christ has not changed. If you've been bought with the blood of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit of God, you are still a child of the Most High God. You are still the church. Uh, You are still beloved by your Heavenly Father. And 2020 and 2021 did not change that. If anything, it should make us uh, be fortified in our faith. If 2021 and 2020 should do anything for us, it should help us fall out of love with the world and fall more in love with Jesus. So our identity in Christ has not changed. And then the third thing that hasn't changed uh, is the great commission call on our life. Listen, 2020 and 2021 did not change the call of God on our life, meaning this COVID-19 
did not push pause on the Great Commission. If we are still bought with the blood of Jesus and we still have the Holy Spirit of God, we're still the church, then we still have the calling of God on our life to know Jesus and make Jesus known. So as the world is changing around us, we can't control that. But one thing we can control is being reminded of the things we know to be eternally true, um, that our Jesus has not changed. He is still King. He is still Lord. He's on his throne. Our identity in Christ has not changed. And the calling of God on our life has not changed. As long as we're still breathing, God still has a mission for us. So go do it. We don't retire from this. We just graduate one day. So I just want to remind you of those things. And hopefully that'll be an encouragement to you. Yeah. Good words. Good words. Thank you for sharing. Shane, listen, our time is up. And uh, thank you again for being with us and uh, for being on the show. Oh, man, it's an honor. It's a blast, man. Jeff, I could talk to you about these things all day, man. So thank you for having me on. It was a blast. Yep, yep. Maybe we'll have a side conversation about the Dolphins for next year. Hopefully we'll keep <laughs> we'll keep Tua. And, Let's uh, go. We'll, we'll, <laughs> I'm yeah. out. August couldn't come couldn't come fast enough, I tell you. I know it. It's good. Awesome. It's good. I love it. Well, listen, thank you, brother, and uh, appreciate you being on the show, and uh, hope to have you again one day. Sounds great, man. Looking forward to it. Well, thank you again for uh, uh, for being on the show, Shane. What a what a word! What what a um, a gift! I think a lot of wisdom that Shane shared. And I will say this: um, I, I say this a lot on the show that if you have breath in your lungs, Shane said something similar. You got hope. And I don't know I don't know where you are today, but you can find true peace and true love and true hope. In the person of Jesus Christ, and uh, what a testimony, the story of Shane, um, how really um, two words you need to say, I can't, but he can, you know, and, and that's a surrender. And so I, I really plead with you, if, if wherever wherever this, this episode has met you, if you're not in Christ, if you need forgiveness, if you need that hope, um, and, and really want to be changed truly, uh, God, God wants to do it, and just surrender your life. Just um, cry out to Him, and Jesus is one. You follow Him, He'll bring you new life. And so, um, hope has a name. It's Jesus, and so we don't want to miss the words that we started this episode in John five twenty four, where Jesus said, "Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes in Him who sent me has eternal life, and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life." God has life for you, and it's found in Jesus. Now listen, that's all I have. Until the next episode, take care.